0: The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that you can catch every game of the NBA Finals on ABC and ESPN Radio, where you can hear Doris Burke doing color, by the way. Plus, relive one of the greatest icons and most successful teams in sports history, Michael Jordan, the 1997-98 Chicago Bulls, Stream, the Emmy, and NAACP Image Award winning series, the last dance on ESPN Plus.
1: Welcome to an After the Buzzer Finals Podcast Low Post Who Collective Joint Venture, and we finally got a game. We almost maybe got a classic. I'm not sure. Devin Booker with an absolutely legendary performance, 17 of 28, 42 points. A sixth foul that maybe wasn't called, and then a seventh <laughs> foul that maybe wasn't no, it called. It wasn't maybe. It wasn't <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Uh almost enough to overcome. Are you guys ready for this? Milwaukee, 17 offensive rebounds, Phoenix five. Milwaukee, five turnovers, Phoenix 17, five of them committed by the point guard, who was completely out of sorts. And Booker had absolutely no help, but almost somehow overcame. An incredible possession and shot attempt disadvantage. Lots to talk about in this game. We have a 2-2 finals. We have a best of three finals. As usual, Brian Windhorst is with me. And I am so excited to have New York City's own, Denver's (laughs) own, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, Michael Malone. How are you?
2: Guys, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, Can't wait to see you guys later on this summer. And as you said, Zach, that was a great finals game. And uh, if you're an NBA fan, you have to love it because now it's 2-2, best of three moving forward. Uh, and that game was won and lost so many times in the fourth quarter.
1: Wendy, where do you want to start? Was there a play? Was there a story? Was there a moment? I mean, Phoenix had them up nine. Campaign made a couple of big plays at the end of the third quarter. They survived Devin Booker going out with foul trouble. Chris Paul made a couple of baskets at a big stretch. Um I don't know if there was a moment you want to start with or something you want to start with, but take it away. Uh,
0: I mean, I don't have chapter and verse of Chris Middleton's career at my fingertips right here. Uh, I find it hard to believe he's played a finer game. Uh, Not only the fact that he had the 40 points, um, uh, but his shot making and playmaking down the stretch of this game and making baskets when they needed them throughout the game. I mean, you know, Giannis had a, a strong game. It was not the same level as his last two games. He looked a little fatigued to me, and that's something to watch going forward. But he still had 26, 14, and 8. I mean, it was a brilliant game. But they won this game because of Chris Middleton elevating. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about the foul, non-foul. We'll talk about, you know, Giannis with the block on 8 which one of the great defensive plays he's ever made. Um, you know, the Bucks being really almost losing this game and then just making a bunch of plays to win it. But Chris Middleton, um, Michael, Chris Middleton, I, I, I know you've coached against him, but, you know, some people have questioned where he, whether he is a true number two. And sometimes they go away from him tonight, they put the ball in his hands and he delivered at the highest level. And, and that's what I'll take away from this game. This was Chris Middleton's game.
2: Yeah, I, I agree, Brian. I mean, uh, Chris Middleton, 40 points, as you mentioned, uh, six rebounds, four assists. But but I felt late in that game, Are down nine in the fourth quarter and the Chris middleton Giannis pick and roll, that two-man game proved very, very effective. Obviously, that's something that Monty and his staff will watch the film and try to figure out moving forward how they can guard that. But it's really incredible. You know, Milwaukee wins this game, which is a must win. You, know, you don't want to go back to Phoenix down three to one. Uh, they shoot 40 from the field and 24 from three. Well, how do they win? Zach touched on the rebounding numbers, 17 offensive rebounds for 19 points. And the fast break points, 15 to zero in favor of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing, this is probably uh, the, the son of a coach coming out, 17 turnovers to 24 points for Milwaukee, a very sloppy game. And that started from the first quarter and, you know, kind of continued all the way throughout. Chris Paul, a really big turnover late, and then Milwaukee only five turnovers for five points. So even though they didn't shoot the ball great, Drew Holiday really struggled from the field tonight. But Ooh. I felt he impacted the game with his defense. Came up with a I agree. I thought he made
0: a lot of really good plays.
2: A lot there of really were- winning plays. I thought Pat Connaughton uh, was terrific for those guys tonight. I mean, you know what you're going to get from your stars usually. Which role player will step up? And I thought, yes, Chris Middleton gets the game ball, but he has some guys step up and make some timely plays, which allowed them to overcome a nine-point deficit in the fourth quarter and pull away late. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, man, I'm excited they won because now we have a chance for a seven-game series and there's nothing better in the NBA Finals.
1: Pat Connaughton, plus 21 for the game Hmm. off the bench. Three huge threes, three offensive rebounds, including one on a Chris Middleton miss when it was 95-90 Phoenix. That ended in somebody scoring a basket uh, for the Bucs, I can't remember. And I think that plus 21 is interesting. And I think the Bobby Portis plus seven is interesting because, again, you can see Bud trying to find lineups that have enough defense and enough shooting, and he went back to their – Giannis Tucker at center lineup to close the game. But I thought he found some. I, I talked about the Giannis Portis combination at the, a, after game three being something that I think we would see. And I thought he found something with the lineup of Holiday, Middleton, Connaughton, Giannis, Portis. I like that lineup a lot. That lineup was good for them. But, yeah, we need to talk about the block. We're like in the golden age of blocks. <laughs> From LeBron in 2016, we had Bam on Tatum last year. That was – an absolutely incredible play from a guy who I feel like we need to say this every time hyperextended his knee, like basically yesterday and all of us worried that he was going to be out for the season, just a whole hum, 26, 14, eight, three steals, two blocks for Giannis. And then the other big play at the end, if you, if you want to boil it down to two plays, I think coach was um, uh, the block. And then Chris Paul with his fifth turnover of the game, with Milwaukee down or Phoenix down 2 trying to split kind of a pick and roll coverage and I don't know what you thought coach but that whole game it just seemed like he didn't have control of the ball like is the wrist bothering he he kept losing the handle he short armed that little floater but it just he didn't have his handle I don't know it, I I can't think of an explanation or there maybe the wrist is bothering him what did you what are you seeing from Chris other than the fact that whether it's Devin Booker or Chris Paul Drew Holiday is making your life incredibly unpleasant, and the refs tonight let him beat the hell out of people. And I don't say that in a bad way. It was, like, good physical. Watching him chase Devin Booker around picks, I was, like, sweating through my through my screen. But what did you see from Chris, Coach?
2: Yeah, you know, long been a fan of Chris, and obviously these very Phoenix Suns we're talking about swept us in the second round. And Chris, it was a healthy dose of Chris Paul and Devin Booker Uh, This was a very un-Chris Paul-like game. Uh, Just like in game three when Devin Booker had 10 points, he responded in a big way and almost, if he doesn't get in foul trouble, puts his team on his back and has a chance to go 3-1. I expect Chris Paul going home uh, to really bounce back. But I I agree, Zach. I I thought from the get-go, Chris was loose with the ball, which you rarely see. Um, I thought he was almost... He's got to look to score a little bit more. I think Milwaukee's playing him for the pass. And I think the shot is there. He's got to be a little bit more aggressive to score, which I think will open up things for his teammates. Uh, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it. And I also think you have to give Drew Holiday credit. You know, if you go 4 of 20 in a game, most people are not, they're not going to be able to find other ways to impact the game. But Drew Holiday's defense, uh, his rebounding, uh, his ability to get to the free throw line, and he had seven assists, only one turnover in a must-win game. So uh, I haven't seen Chris play like that very often. Uh, but once again, g- give the Milwaukee defense, and most notably Drew Holiday some credit. Uh, and I fully expect Chris to respond uh, as they go home. Uh, he's going to take this loss very, very hard. One of the greatest competitors, one of the best leaders I've ever been around. And uh, I know this one's going to be hard sleeping tonight if you're Chris Paul. And that's what makes him a great player.
0: Yeah, definitely a missed opportunity. They've got to feel this missed opportunity. That's the one thing that they're going to – you know, it's nine points with how much time was left, Zach, With it was nine points. Um, uh, that's going to – I don't know. That's going to potentially haunt them. That's going to potentially haunt them. But I, I'm, I really want to key on what Michael was talking about with, with Holiday. He's only shooting 33% in this series, but – I do feel like he's making so many plays and, you know, he's fighting over screens and, and when he's on Booker, when he's on Paul and, you know, this game Booker. So I just want to say the closeout game in the first round in LA against the Lakers, I realized they were banged up, but still his first ever closeout opportunity. And he goes for 47 and 11 rebounds in the Staples center. And I'm sorry to bring this one up coach, but in Denver in a closeout game, he goes for 34 in that one on the road closeout game. Okay. And then Clippers, you know, he did, he played just okay in that closeout game, but um, still had, you know, a really big game one in that series of 40 points. And then here he is in a vital, vital uh, game. And he puts up 42 on the road. Um, This guy is putting together just a remarkable postseason. And I really thought when he comes back in the game there with about maybe five minutes left, and they still had the lead. They didn't lose the lead when he was out. I really thought they were going to have it. And then he gets the call of his lifetime. I doubt he'll ever get a call that favorable again. I almost say...
1: Whitney, Whitney, he lobbied for a jump ball going into the timeout. (laughs) That was the the best part of the whole thing.
0: (laughs) He... He well, first off, Mike Breen never reacts. He's so straight down the middle. Mike Breen never reacts the way that he did, where he was just like, he felt he found them and they didn't call it. And the other thing is, James Capers, I, I don't know if I who I can say is the best official, but if I if I had to pick an officiating crew to, to ref a game, James Capers would be on my three-man crew. I think he's one of the finest officials. Uh, one of the steadiest officials, we won't have coach Malone comment on the officiating, but, <laughs>
1: <Thank you>. um, <laughs> yeah, one of the rules, one of the rules of this podcast is don't get anyone fined. Don't get <laughs> right. anyone fined.
0: I like that um, rule.
2: So is my
1: wife.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, all I can say is it's gotta be a brain fart. It's gotta be a brain fart. I, I feel bad because he's, uh, he's one of the finest officials in the league. And he's also, he doesn't get emotional. Some officials, you can feel him get emotional, in my view, seeing him work, he doesn't get emotional. And so I would like to pass a, a, a rule that Booker is not allowed to argue a foul the rest of the series, but he was arguing fouls instantaneously right after that. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, Their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
1: Well, imagine if they had won and Booker had made like a dagger in the last minute of the game, the whole finals, that's the whole story. That's only, and then Phoenix goes on to win in four or five or 16. That's the only thing people end up remembering from the finals. The league is lucky that it went the other
0: way. Oh. I mean, I've long said that uh, every year on the anniversary, I guess David Blatt didn't have much of an NBA coaching career anyway, but David Blatt almost committed a Chris Weber. And I still believe to this day that in, in the in a, in a, in a game, it might've cost him a playoff series, that scott foster let him get away with it he saw him call a timeout he didn't have and scott foster let him get away with it and david bad david blatt was forever indebted to scott foster it's not permitted for referees and players to interact like this but james capers is probably forever indebted to chris middleton for coming through and winning that game and taking that off of the table because that could have defined this series um and, and Brian,
2: uh, and and for Giannis, who followed that play up, no call, and get lays it in. Yes, you know, I mean, on that, on that, the, the missed foul call or the non-call that you're alluding to, you know, he's got his hand wrapped around his waist, he shoots it, or it gets knocked out of his hands. But Giannis has the wherewithal to run the floor and catch it and lay it in. So, uh, you know, big, big, big play there.
0: So you Did have you- a history, uh, Michael, of at certain times, justifiably losing your mind at the (laughs) officials and getting thrown out. I don't know if that would have been a good time for a coach to get thrown out, but I would not have blamed any coach for absolutely, like in baseball, this is one of the things where the the coach runs out and kicks the dirt on the umpire. Like-
1: No, you throw the base. You pick up first base and you you throw it into the outfield. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, you remember the remember the guy who used the the rosin bag like a grenade? He had the multiple, <laughs> like Michael. I, if that was your your team, I don't. All bets would have been off. I don't know. Don't
1: get him fined. Don't get him
0: fined, okay. Wendy. I'm sorry. No, I'm no. Sorry. You know,
2: you, you know. Though, uh, to be honest, I I think a lot of times when when I do that, it's very calculated. You know, it's me trying to protect Nicola. Uh, sometimes it's not. There have been times where I've just kind of. you you let your emotions get the best of you. But in that situation, uh, I I thought Bud handled it as as well as possible because there's so much time left and you have to find a way to win and getting a technical, giving them easy points at a free throw line, uh, you getting ejected as a head coach uh, that is not the time and place. So uh, I I give Bud a lot of credit. And by the way, you know, Zach, you you alluded to this, but we never really got into it. The, 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 Time and uh, you know the, the block shot that Giannis had. I think it's around 115 to go in the game. Yep. And they run the pick and roll, and Ayton gets behind Giannis. They throw the lob pass, and probably 99.9% of the league is not going to be able to get back in the play and break that up. And that's why Giannis is an incredible basketball player on both ends. Yes, he didn't have 40 points for his third straight game, but he was still incredible. But that block was, you know, a, a huge part of them being able to pull out this win tonight. And you know Milwaukee has long been a, one of the top defensive teams in the NBA. When you have a Drew Holiday on the ball, when you have a P.J. Tucker out there, when you have a Giannis, you know, uh, they, they have guys that are uh, just great defensive players, and, and that, that block was game-changing. And he's had two now in this series that will be NBA Finals moments that people will look back upon for years to say that was a game-changing play. And uh, you know that, that's why this game was so fun because it went down to the wire.
1: Coach, I want to uh, bring up something that you you brought up earlier, which was um, the fast break points and, and the turnovers. And there's just there's just a feedback loop there where the Bucks, even I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. The Bucks half court offense in this game was was not very good. Their transition offense was quite good and good enough to win, and that's been the case the whole series. And it's not just that they're forcing a low turnover team into turnovers. It's that those turnovers then get the bucks out in transition where they're just way, way, way better. They were the best team in transition the whole year. I also thought the suns, got a little bit sloppy with their floor balance a few times in this game like guys just kind of hanging around for offensive rebounds they weren't gonna get and you could just see the bucks man anytime they sensed it anytime they had a mismatch that they liked they were I thought both teams were actually trying to push the pace you could see the sun's trying to get you know let's set that first screen at 19 on the clock but I, I just wonder from your perspective like, when, when you face a transition animal like the bucks this machine that's just coming at you, what what and, and in this game in particular, like what can you do to limit that other than, I mean, you can just say don't turn the ball over, but is there any anything else you can do or anything else you saw in this game that just says let's keep these guys out of transition?
2: Well, as you asked that question, Zach, uh, I have going through my mind a Hubie Brown story that I heard years ago. And uh, he was coaching the New York Knicks, and his team was getting just destroyed in transition, but they also weren't getting any offensive rebounds. So he calls a timeout, and he has the the, the board in front of him, and he says to his team, you're not here on the offensive glass, and you're not here, meaning you're not back in transition. So where the hell are you? If you're not on the glass and you're not back, where are you? The Phoenix Suns only had five offensive rebounds tonight. So it wasn't like they were sending guys to glass. When you play against an elite running team, you sacrifice offensive rebounds for floor balance, getting back. The live ball turnovers killed them tonight. It fueled Milwaukee's offense. But there were also instances where it was a missed shot and Phoenix was caught ball watching, poor floor balance. Nobody was getting back on the raise. And I remember one vividly where they got the rebound. Drew Holiday didn't even dribble, he threw over the top to Giannis and nobody was back. That's unforgivable in the NBA Finals. You have to find a way to force Milwaukee to play in the half court. And as you mentioned, uh, as you alluded to some of the stats, Milwaukee's half court offense was not great. Late in the game, that two-man game between Chris Middleton and Giannis was terrific, but for 48 minutes, their half court offense was not great. So keep them off the glass, keep them off the foul line, and keep them out of transition. Very, very easy to talk about it, but now they have to go out there and do it. And they did not do it nearly enough tonight.
1: And just before you jump in, Wendy, the, the Middleton, the Middleton Giannis stuff at the end I was just incredible shot making. I mean, it was good defense and incredible shot making by Chris Middleton. No,
0: I just, I've never, I've never seen Chris, Chris Middleton. Just, I mean, the mid range, the mid range game. I mean, obviously we talk about free throw, we uh, layups and three pointers and that's a, teams are built to win that way. And there's no doubt that it's improved the quality of basketball in the NBA. But when you watch games at this level, you've got to be able to have somebody who can hit that mid range shot. And it's one of the reasons why the Suns, why Booker and and Chris Paul are so devastating because they're both so great from the mid range and they can run that pick and roll and get around there. Middleton's ability to score from the mid range throughout the whole playoffs, but in this game, especially like, those shots that he was able to get, I mean, the way he created space. I mean, that's just vital, but I I do say something that the coach said, Um, the Bucks are a very good offensive team. They, they were, I think number two or three in scoring in the regular season, but in the half court, their organization isn't strong. Um, You know, certain people have said certain things about it that are harsher than that, but I'll, you know, I'll just say it in the half court the suns are much better organized than the bucks are. And so I think that's gotta be priority. One is make the bucks have to have to get more organized, not just at the end of the game, but, you know, throughout the game. And so, um, Middleton many times was able to overcome those, that bit of disarray. And that was with those mid range shots. And, um, and, uh, I just think, you know, if, if you think you're going to win an NBA title without somebody who can create shots in mid-range like that, I just don't think that's, I don't think that's reality in 2021.
2: Well, it's really funny you bring the, the mid-range up because for so many years, uh, you know, the, the analytical people, the mid-range was taboo. You know, it was, had to be a layup, a free throw or a three. And, you know, we have two very good mid-range shooters in Denver. Nicole Jokic is phenomenal in the mid-range in the short role. And Jamal Murray, Uh, I mean, he's got to be able to make some of those shots to keep the defense honest. But there's one stat that we haven't talked about and it speaks to the offensive rebounding and the turnovers. Milwaukee took 97 shots tonight. All right, They got 97 field goal attempts and Phoenix only shot 78. (laughs) I mean, so once again, that gets back to Phoenix's inability to value while Milwaukee valued at a high level. And it also speaks to the fact that it was a a plus eight rebounding margin in favor of the Bucks with 17 offense rebounds to five. So you know uh, obviously Phoenix aside from Devin Booker you know uh, obviously going to need a lot more help. I thought cam Johnson in the fourth quarter stepped up made some big shots for them uh, but you know that is a huge disparity in overall field goal attempts in the 48 minute game in the NBA Finals.
1: So Phoenix, this, this sometimes basketball is kind of a math problem, although it's not fun to talk about that way. But you, the one, one math problem that you're talking about, Coach, is just a possession game. Turnovers, offensive rebounds. Milwaukee is mauling them in that math problem. Another one, speaking of the mid-range, that is going against Phoenix is – so Phoenix was last in the league in shots at the rim this regular season. They've been getting to the rim at an even lower rate through three games in this series. In this game, according to Cleaning the Glass, 18% of their shots came in their restricted area. That would have ranked so far below their dead last rank in the regular season that it's not even worth considering. At the same time, only 29% of their shots were threes. 53% of the shots were mid-range shots. They have now reached it. The Bucs have shoved them to an equilibrium where they are actually taking too too many mid-range shots. As great as those guys are we didn't see the corner threes and that's when, you know, Phoenix is really humming when they get mm-hmm. those bridges, corner threes and bridges was a non-factor for the most part. And so I, I, you can take either one of these, you want, what did you notice about how they're taking away the threes or like how, how can Phoenix is just not getting to the rim enough? Like how, how can you get, how can you just get something going to the basket other than I guess, maybe get out and transition, take that either way you want, but that shot math is now going dramatically against Phoenix.
2: Yeah, well, when you watch Milwaukee and how they guard, and again, they've been one of the top defensive teams for a few years now, so give Coach Bud and his staff and their team a lot of credit. But, you know, you you have a choice uh, when you guard pick and rolls. You can either have a big at the level, you can have a big in, 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 maybe a few steps below the screen, or some teams like Milwaukee will have their big all the way down the floor and, and basically say, we're going to guard this pick and roll two on two, and stay home with the three, you know? So we're not gonna get caught tagging in versus the roller and give up those skip pass threes. Uh, And what Milwaukee has the luxury of, as that big is down the floor, you have guys like Jew Holiday, you have guys like Chris Middleton, P.J. Tucker, that fight over the screen or get under the screen and rear view pursuit. So, you know, and that's what gave us trouble. We were up in our series to start, and then they killed us with threes. We went down the floor. We took the three away, but we did a poor job of pursuing over the top and contesting from behind. And those two really hurt us from the mid range. So um, they went really small, obviously, like Phoenix has been doing. Torrey Craig as a backup five uh, ever since Starish got hurt, and they got Torrey on a screen and roll one time when Phoenix, uh, when Milwaukee was small and they weren't down the floor, but. Uh, it's just more of an aggressive mindset. And I think that's a really interesting point. I wasn't aware of those numbers, Zach, but yes, the mid range is good, but it can't be 53% of your offense. You have to they find just... a way to create some easier ones at the rim and also generate some open threes. Uh, and they didn't get enough of that only 27 three-point attempts tonight, uh, which obviously is not enough.
1: Yeah. That's seven of 23 from three is not enough. And I, I just, they've just got to get something at the rim and maybe again, it's, it's, if you don't get in transition, those transition chances are usually dunks and layups. Uh, if you don't get offensive rebounds, you don't get putbacks. So that's that's part of it. I also look at Aiton, three of nine, thought he settled a little bit on post-ups and no free throws. I, I just think they're going to well, need he never to shoots get,
0: free throws. He's got I one of the lowest I, free throw rates in the league.
1: He's two and a half a game. I just think they're going to need to have another game or two to win this series where he gets you – 18 points and somehow just manufactures like he can get five free throws against the sea. He's just got to manufacture. If I'm looking for, a, if I'm just answering the question, who is going to get me points at the basket? If I can't run, it's gotta be eight. And he's whether it's offensive. He had one offensive rebound and 16 defensive rebounds. Like he's just, he's just got to produce something at the basket.
0: I, I actually well, thought, I thought that Devin Booker throwing that lob to him, was an incredibly gutty play by Booker, because as as Michael said, Giannis overplayed it, right? Giannis came to it came to defend the rim. It was a brilliant idea by Booker, and the pass was good. Giannis just recovered, but um, that shows you know they need that countermeasure, and they just didn't have it tonight.
2: You know, just th- one note on on DeAndre Ayton because because I agree. Like tonight, Devin Booker needs somebody. To ride with them, you need somebody to help help out a little bit. And I, I wonder, you know, if Devin Booker doesn't get in foul trouble and has to sit in the fourth, you know, what what happens in this game. But I think all three of DeAndre Ayton's field goals tonight were after Milwaukee switched. They've been switching the whole series. They switched the pick and roll. That puts Ayton inside against a small. They throw it over the top. He scores easy uh I, i'm glad you brought up the one offensive rebound uh, overall 17 rebounds uh is a ter- terrific number but if milwaukee is going to switch as much as they are you either get the post up over the top the lob pass over the top or those the phoenix Suns perimeter place have to get the ball in the rim and now deandre sometimes your best offense is a missed shot he's got to go and get on that glass because they are taking a big body off of him at times Punish those smalls and make Milwaukee have to counter the game plan and maybe play things straight up, and that may open up some other opportunities. But he's big, he's strong, he can score down there, especially if they if Milwaukee wants to continue to switch all those pick and rolls. And when he has that opportunity, he's got to really you know make an impact on that glass. Can
0: I just, just looked think- it up in the Clippers series to your uh, what you just mentioned, Michael. He had. Here, here were here were his offensive rebound numbers in the Clippers series. Three, three, four, nine, three, five. So the offensive rebounding that was one of the best series. You know, it was some of the best ball he's ever played. In this is his third game out of the four where he had two or two one or two. You know, but the one is uh, the lowest he's had in about since uh, you guys helped him to one in, um, in uh, game, game four. Um, so you're right. This, he, he has, that has been a weapon for them that uh, has kind of gotten mitigated a little bit. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast, the truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting and starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you wanna be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10 minute low impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30 minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or bike plus rental at onepeloton.com bike slash rentals. Terms apply.
1: Can we just shout out Devin Booker? Uh, Forty-two points, no threes. You don't see that a lot anymore wow. in, in the NBA really- in, in twenty twenty-one. Well,
0: coach might be right. Maybe too much mid-range. And Maybe the other thing is, like, mid-range.
1: we we can sit here and belabor all this stuff. And obviously, every every player's performance is tied into the bigger issues we're talking about. But like, just point blank, if Chris Paul doesn't find his game, the Suns aren't going to win the series. I mean, it's 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 that. And and by the same token, like the Bucks are treading on thin ice until Drew holiday finds a little bit more of a coherent game on offense. But if, if Chris Paul can't be the point, guard, they just don't have enough to beat the Bucs, even with home court advantage. And,
2: and they're not here without Chris Paul. I mean, so I, I agree. I mean, it's two to two, but uh, you know, Chris Paul has to play like the hall of famer that he is uh, going back in game five and moving forward as they try to close this series out. It's a best of three now, but uh, yeah, five of thirteen for Chris. Five turnovers. Obviously, that is uh, like, and he was he was a minus ten in his thirty-seven minutes that he played tonight. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, man, that guy's competitive. He hates to lose, uh, and this loss is really going to eat at him. And I just hope he comes out next game and doesn't overthink it. Just play when he's out there playing and he's attacking and he's aggressive and he's confident. Uh, he's one of the best to ever do it.
1: Can we bother you with a couple of nuggets questions? Of course. Um, sure. Are you visiting? Are you visiting Serbia at all this summer?
2: You know what? Uh, with with COVID and the protocols, like we have got some people that have left the country that are having a hard time getting back in the country. So uh, that's one reason I probably will not. Uh, number two, you know, after we lost Game Four to Phoenix. Uh, Nicola and I were hanging out after the game, Josh Kroenke, drinking a few beers, talking about the series, the season. And I joked around. and said, so well, I look forward to coming over to, to visit. And he goes, Coach, you can come over anytime you want, but you're not going to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Nicola and I have been together uh, 83 days in the bubble, quick turnaround, 72-game season, 10 playoff games. Uh, right now, I think the last person he wants to see is Malonovic, which
0: is what they call me in Serbia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you ever I gotten? Think you, I think I know where to find him at, yeah, that, yeah, at, that, at horse that horse track. track. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever
1: gotten into one of those little? What I don't know what they call that buggy, but have you ever done that? I, I'm sure there's photos that I'm just forgetting.
2: No, I tell you what, man, I'll give you a quick story about that. Last time I went over, uh, he goes, "Coach, let's go to the stable." Uh, I'm like, "Great, let's go to the stable." That's like his happy place. He's with the horses. Uh, And he was getting ready to have practice for for one of his horses, Dreamcatcher. He says, Coach, come on, you're going to ride the carriage. So I've never ridden a horse before. So I'm sitting in the carriage. They tell me what to do. And they said, it's nice and easy. So I get in the carriage and I'm going, let's go. And we go (laughs) around the first lap and Nicola and the the trainer are yelling, Coach, slow down. You're going too fast. All right. We go on a second lap and I go faster. So we come around and they both stop, stop, stop. And they were like really pissed at me because Coach, he says, Coach, you ruined practice. He was supposed to go <laughs> nice and easy. And you ran him too hard. You ruined practice. And then I got back to the house and his two brothers, Namanya and Strahina, I told them that I was in the carriage. And they said, he let you ride the carriage? I said, Yes. And they were angry because they've never been given that opportunity. So
0: okay. I felt
2: honored, well, and I also felt like I blew a golden opportunity.
1: <laughs> what is it like walking through Sombor, Serbia, with the three Jokic brothers? Are you just like, are people just like bowing to them? Are people throwing alcohol to them? Or like, what is it like? <laughs> are people throwing sausages to them to eat? Like, I they they must they're. They, I mean, if you've seen the brothers, they are characters, and Nicole is also a character, and they're all giant. I mean, it must be quite a scene.
2: Oh, it really is. You know, uh, and obviously all of Serbia, but especially some board where Nikola and the Jokic family resides, uh, are extremely proud of what Nicole has been able to accomplish. Obviously, I think uh, right now there's the a little, you know, he didn't play for the national team, which I felt was the right decision considering all he's gone through in the last you know, 12, 16 months. But uh, yes, it's uh, he is the pride of some board. They love him. And that's what I love about Nicola. He's just, he wants to go home. He's a homebody. He loves his uh, community. He loves his town. They do a lot for that town. And uh, one time I was there, we went, they wanted to, we went to the mayor's big hall. We had a meeting with the mayor. So, you know, you feel like you're walking around like uh, I'm turtle in entourage, you know, riding around <laughs> and you the big star of some Uh Is
1: there, how is Jamal? I don't know what you can say publicly, but how, how is he doing? How is his rehab? Whatever you can say.
2: No, he's he's doing as well as can be expected. You know, uh, he had the surgery. He was in L.A. for a while rehabbing. Uh, once he was able to be cleared, I thought it was so important for our team. He joined us for the Portland series uh, and obviously the Phoenix series. But just having his leadership, his voice, his energy around, I thought was tremendous for guys like Monte, Austin, Marcus, Howard, Shaq. Um, and then he spent a lot of time in Denver. Now he's in Phoenix actually rehabbing, Uh, and all the reports right now, Zach, are really positive. So, uh, you know, that was a devastating game. You know I mean? It was uh, April 12th in San Francisco, uh, end of the game, and we had 18 games to go at that time. I think a lot of people probably said, well, the Nuggets are done now. Jamal Murray, we all saw what he did in the bubble uh, in the playoffs. He was superhuman. Uh, They're going to have a hard time doing anything special without him. And people don't talk about is that literally two games later, Monte Mars went down a week later. Will Barton went down a week later, PJ Dozier went down. So for us to go into the playoffs and find a way to beat Portland without our starting backwood and playing two way players and 10 day players, uh, I-, I couldn't have been more proud of our team. Uh, but Jamal is on the right track. He's doing well. And uh, you know, I- I'm really excited about that. And I, I feel Kind of, we've seen this throughout the NBA. He's going to come back a better player. He's going to be stronger. He's going to be a little bit more mature, and he's going to pick up right where he left off.
1: When do you have any any last questions? I don't want to hog all this these Nuggets questions. I did. You, everyone knows I have a soft spot for the Nuggets.
0: <laughs> I just think um, his whole team had to be so exhausted. I, uh, I, I'm out here with Team USA, and these guys have come back. And they're just like uh, I just respect the effort that they're giving because they've just got to be so exhausted. Um, You know, you can tell you can tell the guys who weren't you know like Zach Levine has the most juice out of anybody here because he didn't he wasn't in the bubble and he wasn't he didn't go a long playoff run and you can feel it. You know, you like you look at these guys who've been in the playoffs they just don't have it. So um, I I I just can't. I know. I hope you're enjoying some downtime too, because I think we, we're in, we in the media, are guilty of it too. We just you know, next game, let's go. Next game, let's go. Okay, you, you, oh, you had to go from Denver to Portland. Well, we don't care how you got there. We didn't care about what happened. We don't care about. Oh, uh, the guy had to spend uh, six hours in the ice bath training room, whatever. You know, the the, the public doesn't get to know it, and uh, even though those of us in the media we know, but um, so I. I just can't imagine how I'm mentally and everything physically exhausted. And I know Jokic got, you know, the tabloids were after him in Serbia. And I know that, um, you know, then Serbia didn't qualify for the Olympics and that was a thing, but man, let I me mean, look at what that guy gave. So I, I just, I just hope, I just can't imagine how exhausted you were. And uh, you know, you looking at these teams who, you know, playing now have to be exhausted too.
2: Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, I've been in league 20 years now, Brian, and, this past season uh, by far was the toughest season that I've ever gone through. Uh, and I think I probably speak for most people. You know, after we beat Portland in the first round, Brad Stevens reached out to me goes, you know, what you guys are doing is incredible. You know, the last four teams in the bubble, us, Lakers, Miami, Boston, and we were the only team to make it out of the first round this year. Uh, and as injured as we were, I that speaks to the group that we have, that speaks to Nicole Jokic being an MVP, but I think more than the physical um, toll uh, it was a mental toll. Uh, and it wasn't just 72 games, condensed schedule. It was, we had a Sunday game at one o'clock. I was driving down to the arena to get tested at 11 o'clock at night on Saturday night. It was getting tested twice a day. Uh, it, it was just nonstop. And you know, we, the question that's come up quite a bit, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it before, you know, There was talk that the NBA season was going to start. Training camp was going to start around January 15th. And I think everybody in the NBA, especially those teams that were in the bubble and late in the bubble, felt that was a good starting date. And then all of a sudden it changed and news came down. We're starting on December 1st. And that was a really quick turnaround mentally and physically and emotionally. And that continued all season long. So, as devastating as it was to lose to Phoenix and to get swept, I also uh, sense for the guys that were here last year, it was also a little bit of a relief. Okay, man, this is, man, wasn't just this season, it was 83 days in the bubble combined. And, you know, that's like one season together. And it was uh, a lot was asked of everybody. And, uh, and that's why I love our group because not once did we ever mail it in or give up. Uh, we kept on fighting to the very end.
1: Well, both both Brian and I have written a, a lot about your team over the years and about the toughness of your team. And I and I wrote I, I remember I wrote a piece before Game Seven against the Clippers last year that all of the attention was on the Clippers collapsing and what does this mean for Kawhi and PG and this experiment that they traded all these picks for. I just said people need to look at the Nuggets as as a tough team. They don't they don't necessarily. Uh, Jokic doesn't look like a guy you would describe as tough, tough, like he's out there elbowing people. But starting from that year, whatever year it was, 17, 18, where you had to win all bunch of games in a row to get to the last game of the season against Minnesota, and you did it. I just think a toughness and a certain resiliency has been really a unique part of the fabric of what you guys have built. And I we talked about it off air before the podcast. I mean, I was toying – pretty close with the Nuggets win the championship prediction before Jamal got hurt. And I just don't, I, I would love to play this season fully healthy, but I really think you guys after trading fair and Gord, you guys had a team that that could have done it. And you brought up that Clippers game when you went into LA and you just beat them up wire to wire, beat them up. And I remember watching that game sitting in this office that I'm in right now thinking, Holy shit, they just went into LA fully healthy. I believe both Kawhi and PG played yeah. that game and just said, we're we're better. It was that was a we're better than you guys and we know it kind of wins. So I just hope everyone gets healthy. We get to see that team sometime next season, hopefully.
2: Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, and, and I would agree, Zach. I think one thing we've shown in my six years, we've improved almost every season, uh, which is incredible to get out of the first round three years in a row, first time in franchise history. But the resiliency and the abil- ability to handle and thrive in adverse conditions. Whether it's down three-one twice last year, whether it's going into Utah two years ago only having seven available players and finding a way to win, uh, or making the playoffs this year and beating Portland in the first round, we never focus on what we don't have or who we're missing. We rather spend all of our time on who we do have and how we're going to find solutions and come away. And I, I, I talked about it earlier. April first, we go into L.A. Really big game. The winner of that game is going to have a season series, a head-to-head tiebreaker. We had just gotten Aaron Gordon the week prior, and after that game, I said we really have a chance to win it all this year. And unfortunately, as we all know, covering this crazy business, uh, you have to be lucky. Injuries are a part of it, and uh, and like a lot of other teams in the West, uh, you know, we suffered a lot of key injuries that uh, you know that we weren't able to see that through. But hopefully, we can get healthy. And, uh, and, and make another run at this thing because we have a lot of young
0: talented special players uh, you know that i believe in wendy
1: anything else you want to hit before we go
0: yeah i want to i want to leave you with this first off thanks to coach Malone we really appreciate your time enjoy your offseason get some rest one of the things that drives me crazy is when people get shamed for getting dunked on because and getting crossed over not as much with the crossover but she gets shamed for getting dunked on because they're trying to play defense. The post-game press conference, which just ended, Giannis was asked about that block. And he said, when he went over to defend it, he thought he was going to get dunked on. And if he, I realized it was the end of a a finals game, but it's one of the things I like about Giannis. He banks in a three-pointer. He doesn't sit there and get embarrassed about it. He goes, I'll take it. He airballs a free throw. Well, he's not happy about it, but he just moves on. If he had gotten dunked on there, he'd gotten dunked on. But I just want to say, that's why you you—you you risk getting dunked on so you can make plays like that. Not everybody's honest, but I appreciate it. That's my, my parting shot. Thank you.
1: Well said, Wendy. Uh, uh, Coach uh, Michael Malone, thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you even virtually. I hope to see you non-virtually in Las Vegas, Nevada uh, for Summer League. Uh, and Wendy, we will be back after game five, which I believe is on Saturday uh, and game in game six, sir. And game well, yeah. Yep, I'm just going one day at a time. Take it a day <laughs> at a time. That's all we can do, one game at a time. Coach, thank you. Wendy, thank you. And we will see you in a few days, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.